When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Peacock Streaming. The biggest sports and live events on the planet. Touchdown. From Super Bowl 56. What a game this is. To complete coverage of the Winter Olympics. Streaming every event, every day. Yeah. It's all the unprecedented. United States wins gold. Unstoppable. Sensational. Unbelievable. Sports to love. Sign up now at PeacockTV.com. Mirror man, mirror man. You twist and turn my mind until I don't. And welcome to a new, fresh episode of the Arsenal Opinion Podcast. I'm here with Alfred. Hello, 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 hello. And I'm here with Matt. Hi, Pete. How is everybody feeling today at 7... No, 7.45, because we've been pissing around. I'm feeling absolutely fantastic. How about you, Matt? You look refreshed. How come you look so fresh? I'm just fresh and ready to go. It's Monday morning. It's time to smash the week. It is, and we've had a fantastic weekend. Well, I haven't, because I've been uh, deep in pitch hell. But Arsenal did. Another win under our belts. So we've got a few things to discuss today, and maybe a little bonus section. So we're going to talk uh, about the Swansea game. We're going to talk about the shameful antics that occurred at the AGM. And we're going to then head into Manchester City and Belgrade. But before that, Alfred's favourite part of the show. Episode number 30. I can't believe we have hit that magical number. Uh, has any Arsenal player ever worn that number? Matt? Oh, Alfred, of course they've won the number 30. It's a very illustrious shirt. Uh, not maybe as illustrious as 29, which we uh, thoroughly enjoyed last week. But uh, the first number 30, uh, one of the stalwarts of Project Youth 2.0, one of the originators, Ainsley Maitland-Niles. You know, he was, a, he was sort of a year ahead of Reese Nelson and Joe Willock and those guys. This was a guy who, uh, who, who Arsene Wenger is definitely very excited about. He's, uh, he's the, who was the guy, Mark something? Do you remember him? He was the little 
kid a few years ago. I can't remember. I'm just too early. But uh, th- th- we have had a long, illustrious uh, treasure trove of shit DMs, haven't we? We haven't had a great one so far. Frimpong was the closest, which uh, says something. Denilson. Denilson. Uh, I, I don't know. times. Let's, let's keep the energy up. But Ainsley Maitland-Niles, there's something that Benger really, really likes about him. He keeps playing him. Uh, he's obviously got a lot of good recovery speed. Um, and I think he's going to turn into some sort of player. He's going to be a fullback, isn't he? There's no way that he's gonna that he has the technical ability to to play centre midfield. He's kind of like a worse version of Coughlin. Am I being too negative? Uh, I'm not sure. Is is there a a fair observation that a lot of Project Youth 2.0 basically have like 18th century names? Yeah, maybe it's a, a current trend. And also, are they all are they all wingbacks? Does everyone yeah. just play? Does does everyone just play wingback? Everyone has just been groomed for wingback. Anyway, moving swiftly on, Ju Young Park. Do you remember him? He was a dodgy signing, wasn't he? That was really dodgy. Yeah, he scored a he scored a couple of nice goals, but did when he? We, when we were crying out for a striker, he was not the answer. He was not the answer. This next player is a player I have no real affection for. Pete, you once said that he was a bit like Thomas Rizicki, Yossi Benayoum. Oh, I liked him. He 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 was a, a very underrated player when he was fit. I thought he was. I thought he was kind of effective. Um, when, did we get him on loan? We got him on loan. Yeah, was yeah. it from from Chelsea? Yeah, yeah. He had a bit of a crap career, didn't he? Chelsea, West Ham. He did the rounds. Rio Miachi, the next one. I had a lot of high hopes for him. Rio, did, did Rio? Did we did we use Rio Miachi to sell reserve team TV to Japan, or did, is that just a something that? I made up. Uh, it's just every time. I think it's sort of some, there's a bit of casual racism in the way that everyone assumes that every time we sign a player uh, from Asia, that it's somehow got something to do with shirt rights. But I think he was, he was just a promising player. He, yeah. was, he had a, was it 2002 World Cup where he put in a. That was in a moto. This is Rio Miyachi. Oh. I also I wonder oh if, if if it's the reverse thing as well because Podolski is now in the Japanese league and it's actually quite entertaining to follow his antics there. He loves posting a good clip of like an unfair call from a ref or something. I think he got a yellow card for touching a, a keeper the other day, which was hilarious. Yeah, we we forget that Wenger also came from oh, Japan, yeah, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, Inamoto, that was the guy. He he started the he opened the floodgates. He he looked good as well. Miyachi was the the, the kid, wasn't yeah. he? Who was ripping it up in like a high school league. Not to be confused with uh, Mr. Miyagi. Um, Armin Traore, uh, most famous for taking a knuckle duster to White Hart Lane, which anyone who's ever been to White Hart Lane will know that was actually the, probably the smartest thing he ever did. Where's he now? He's at Nottingham Forest now, I think. Yeah, but, uh, I think he 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 was he managed uh, the. Uh, something that most players would never be able to do. He got, I think, he got fired from QPR for just being useless. <laughs> that might, that might also be some fake news. Uh, I'm not sure. Jeremy Aladier, remember him? Uh, uh, Jeremy Aladier. He could have been Nicholas and Elka. I can't remember. I don't know whether it was. See, uh, somebody who ran Claire Fontaine, the the youth school for the French kids, said the three most promising players to come out of there were uh, Thierry. Trezeguet and Aladier. Yeah. And he just, he didn't even show promise. 
No, he did show promise, did you, but I think... Did you ever look at him and think, what, if he stayed fit, he could be something yeah, else? Yeah, once or twice. Once. 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 He was... If, if uh, Maitland-Niles is uh, the uh, the sort of founding father of Project Youth 2.0, Ali Adier was sort of the founding father of Project Youth 1.0. I think Ali Adier was like the, the, the tail end of it when it started to fall apart. Then goes... Started to lose his yeah. touch. He went, and he, didn't he end up at Middlesbrough or something when yeah. he was like 30? Still useless. Where good players go to die. But he probably racked up a five, six million pounds worth of wages just for being average. And then talking of average, the final two, Paolo Venazza, who was a reserve team, youth team captain, highly promising, uh, born a local lad, didn't quite cut the mustard. He didn't cut the mustard really because Wenger came in and then brought brought in all the foreign foreign boys, and then he, he never had a chance. Right? Never had a chance. I mean, his name might have got him up the pecking order a little bit. Uh, it sounded like a sort of a, a secret buy from Napoli or something, but uh, but no, he was uh, he didn't make it. Gavin McGowan, he definitely didn't make it. Another one from my uh, Panini sticker book years. Oh, you love that book. <laughs> We're gonna have to get a tweet of that and put it out. So number do 30, you still do you still have that sticker book somewhere? No. 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 You do have a, a selection of extremely nice apparel. That red jacket that you've got. The red uh, jacket. The yeah, red. we might maybe we'll do a podcast auction for the jacket. It's a great jacket. It's a really great jacket. So another another victory, our 13th straight at home, Arsene Wenger's 800th Premier League game, uh, which is quite the milestone. Uh Alfred, what did you think top line uh, about the Swansea performance of the weekend? It was a win. I feel really good when we win. It was nice to see Klasinac perform like he did. It was quite an incredible performance, I thought. And you can never complain about beating Swansea. It feels like a team that we sometimes struggle with. Matt, it was it was a bit of a struggle uh, in the first half. Do you read too much into that or is it just get the job done, move on? I think get the job done, move on. I think if you look at Premier League bogey teams over the years... Swansea have definitely been uh, ours, especially at the Emirates. I think they've won, you know, three times in the last five years or some, something like that. So um, just getting the job done, especially when, you, when, when I saw that we were a goal down, immediately you start thinking, oh, they're going to do it again. And for some reason, they've got a style that uh, tends to upset us. So um, just delighted to get the three points. So the uh, the big talking point heading into the, the Manchester City game is can a midfield of Ramsey, Ozil and Jacker do it at Manchester, a, a big club in, in a big game? Because you have slight worries about um, their ability to perform at the highest level. Is that right, Alfred? Well, I think they, they might actually be able to perform against... City, But what I think is extraordinary and what we've talked about a lot of times is how Ramsey and Ursel never seem to be able to have a good game at the same time. And against Everton, when no one pressed Ramsey, it was easy for Jacka to move the ball to Ramsey, who could move it up the pitch many times to Ursel. Uh, it was an effective kind of combination and we could quickly move the ball. What Swansea had realized was if you press or isolate Ramsey, our only option is are the wing backs. And it was painful to see. Kolasinac did a fairly good job. Bellerin did did such a bad job that in the 
after the first half, I looked up how many times he'd, he's assisted a goal with a cross in the Premier League. And it's five times since his um, start in 2014. And yet we persist with that as a strategy of him crossing in the ball into into the middle. Even now, when we don't have Giroud in there, he should not be allowed to cross because he can't do it. And I think it was like, because they isolated Ramsey. I don't know how, I should have done like a Twitter compilation because I think it was like 10 times or something that I saw there being three or four Swansea players between Jacka and Ramsey uh, in build-up play. And the only thing Chaka could do was to give it to Kolasinac or try to find Sanchez uh, on a run. And Ramsey was just standing there waiting to run into the box, even though Chaka was in our own half. So if you isolate Ramsey, there is no connection between the the back and Ozil, and Ozil goes invisible. So the the it's so simple to neutralize both Ramsey and Ozil in a game just by taking Ramsey out. And Ozil kind of goes invisible again. And we've seen that so many times now that Ramsey is the, the, the failing link with bringing the ball up because all he wants to do is run for goal. He, he just wants a long ball and run in there. And against City might actually work because Ramsey is naturally going to sit a lot deeper. And if Ramsey and Chaka sits deeper, I think a little bit of the problem is solved because there won't be as many City players uh, in between them. If if Ramsey's failing, then I will. I'd love him to continue failing because uh, for me, he got the winner, two one uh, last week. Didn't play great. Scored a really good goal. We won, and I think that's what you get with Aaron Ramsey. You don't get sometimes the tactical discipline, uh, but you get goals, and goals win games. And uh, and I think this season we've seen a return to form that gives me hope that he could replicate a season like whether it was 2012 or 2013 or whatever year it was, because he's already got a few goals. He's looking fit. He's looking hungry. He wants to be the main man. He's taking responsibility and he's winning us football matches. I think that those stats geeks on Twitter have that XG rating, like the, the expected goals. And I saw a chart recently, like laying up the midfielders in Europe and I think his expected goals, like his return is like negative 13. And I think that's why everybody gets so excited about Ramsey that if he put away the chances that he was given, he'd be, he'd be like your, your Frank Lampard, uh, Steven Gerrard type midfielder. I do, I do worry that he plays a little bit for himself to, to Alfred's point. It's all about getting into the box. And I think one of his strongest games this season was against Chelsea when he played a bit more of a disciplined role. But I guess when you're playing against Swansea, you don't need to sit back. Like you do need to like cause a threat um, with kind of late runs into the box. So uh, I, my, my worry is how are they going to do against, um, against City? Like that's, that's the biggest concern because we, we're, we're more than capable of grinding out wins against the teams were expected to grind wins out against. It's just when you push into the now top six teams in the Premier well, League, I think can, can those guys... I think that's the interesting thing because I just went back. I didn't realise our home record was quite as good as it was. Um, but then I just went and had a quick look at the teams we've played in that run. And, you know, we have literally played the bottom half of the table and a load of poor teams in the Cups. So uh, that's a big part of... Uh, potentially Ramsey's success 
and the team's success at home. Whereas when we've been away, it's been a different story. And I think I still hop back to the midfield performance in the FA Cup final when when Xhaka and uh, Ramsey dovetailed so well. And my hope is that Wenger will have them prepared for the City game in a similar type of setup where there's a good uh, foundation or structure. Uh, but we'll come on to that when we do the Manchester City uh, look. But... It is astonishing, though, because if, because Everton was so appallingly bad that they didn't they didn't care about Ramsey. So Ramsey could actually pass the ball to Özil. Özil got in the first half. I think he tied the the Premier League record this season for creator chances, and then he ended up with eight uh, creator chances because he got the ball. He's our most creative player, and when he creates chances, we get five goals. And then when you isolate Ramsey and the ball doesn't get to Özil. Then suddenly we're, we're like we get a scrappy two-one win against Swansea. So I do think it is remarkable that you kind of get two for one if you isolate Ramsey. You also isolate Özil. It's very very dangerous. I would rather against City have Coquelin and Jacka because I think that Coquelin is much more prone to get the ball as quickly as he possibly can to Özil because he acknowledges that he's not a box-to-box midfielder who's going to dribble past Yayatore. So, we're doing well. Uh, um, a fascinating insight into the mentality of Arsenal fans and also maybe the media is if you were to just take a quick sample of newspaper cuttings, you would think that Pochettino was 15 points clear at the top of the Premier League. But when you take a, a little glance at the league table, it's pretty interesting because we're what, a point behind uh, Spurs um, uh, level level with Chelsea? Yep. Uh, within striking distance of Manchester United. Like we are very much uh, in the mix uh, if we for beat... For second. For second, yeah. But if, 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 we, beat, if we beat City uh, at the weekend, which I feel is entirely possible because that run has to come to an end at some point, and wouldn't it just be... Glorious if it was against Pep Guardiola, a manager everyone would love to see uh, at Arsenal. Um, wouldn't it like breathe life into Arsene Wenger's campaign to get a new deal? Um, what What's the feeling? Uh, because a lot of Arsenal fans are starting to talk about a title challenge. Like Matt, is our position in the table reflective of a, a, a strong, like resolute side, or? Is is it just uh, that we played a lot of rubbish teams and we're about to get our comeuppance heavy at the weekend? I think um, we are probably... I think uh, Conte said it about Chelsea. He said, we are exactly where we deserve to be right now. And I thought uh, that was quite refreshing to hear from a coach. And I think if you look at the Arsenal season, we are also exactly where we deserve to be this season. Um you know, we, we have, have played not particularly good teams and we've beaten them all. Every time we've faced a challenge, uh, we have failed. And that is a very Arsenal-esque story. I think the, it's interesting what we're saying about Spurs because, you know, I saw an article, uh, I think it was the Mail Online, saying, uh, is Pochettino the new Ferguson? Which made me chuckle because... The reality is Spurs uh, have been made to look far better than they actually are by 
the performances of Harry Kane, who's got something like 13 goals already in the league or whatever. Uh, I try not to look at those details. But, you know, he's had a remarkable run, which has put a lot of gloss on some of the actual performances. Manchester United, to me, are... Uh, have 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 under they they have overperformed. They don't look like a cohesive team unit to me. They just look like an expensively assembled group of players. So um, I feel like we're exactly where we should be. But it's but it's worrying because um, there are four teams ahead of us who I believe are better than us in Chelsea United. City and Spurs and it's difficult to see how over 38 games we're going to usurp one of those teams. Alfred, uh, what is the table lying at the moment or does it look pretty sound for how it's going to be for the rest of the season? I think the table is is correct at the moment. I think it's been it's been a little bit of a predictable season so far, which I kind of like. It's not like a Leicester season, but Man City is setting the agenda and they can go in and dictate playing and they're in the lead. Manchester United, Mourinho is having one of those like really, you know, pragmatic seasons where he has looked at the whole table and he knows that from top six games, he actually only needs like eight points. He doesn't need 18 points. It's more important to go away with away draws against the top six in order to win a season according to his calculations rather than anything else. So people get extremely frustrated with him because he doesn't attack against Liverpool, for example. But then everyone praises him when they win 1-0 with like basically a shot on target against uh, against Spurs. Spurs is is having a Spurs season. They, they are kind of like the new Arsenal. They're going to end up third, but they're probably going to go close to City or something and, and get the hopes up and then they're going to... They're going to go back. Get all Spursy. Get all Spursy. Chelsea hasn't had Hazard. And Hazard was basically back in form for the first time in the last game. And I thought, um, even though they only won 1-0, it was quite a performance that you saw last season. The way that Bakayoko brings the ball to Fabregas, brings the ball to Hazard, who just runs on the defense and then lays it over to Morata. Morata, I think, missed two sitters that that Hazard... um, Gave him, and they're going to have like an easier run of games. So I think Chelsea is going to start performing again, and I think that Liverpool, whenever they have Sadio Mane back, who means that they they do have um, a lot more up front, but also tracks back. They're going to start to look a lot better than they are, and hopefully they're going to bench Dejan Lovren forever. So I think I think that's kind of we're going to go sixth. Uh, Liverpool is going to take us over. And then we're going to have a little bit of a threat from Watford, who even though they didn't look good this weekend have looked amazing. And I wouldn't be surprised if Watford ends up being who we who we compete with. Watford? Watford? You having a laugh? I think we're genuine contenders for the top four this season. Uh, I think Liverpool are distinctly average. Yep. And I think Klopp has been found out. I wrote about him... Uh, over like quite extensively over the last few years because he went, Klopp went from being my favorite manager to someone in the game saying that he's got a bit, he's got a touch of the Arsene Wenger's about him burns players out um and like he's 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 not as pleasant as he looks and i i don't i i, don't, I think out of all he's the, not as pleasant as he looks he needs to go to the dentist mate <laughs> he's he was uh, kicking off in press conferences and being a bit of a crazy uh, before he left 
um, before he left Dortmund. And I just, I think out of all the managers in the Premier League at the moment, he, uh, the new managers, he looks the most uh, dated. And I think Arsenal has a has a much better squad. So I think we're d- definitely going to contend for the top four this season. Uh, and I think, I, I, I still feel we might see Chelsea fall away. Things Things just don't look right with those guys. I think Conte's a great manager, but from what I understand, he's fallen out with the CEO. Um, and I, I don't think it's smooth sailing over there. So I think the se- the season's back on, but I think we'll have a, it would, it would just be typical Arsenal, won't it? We're all getting excited now. We probably beat City at the weekend and then it's on. We'll have a good run and then it will, then it will all go to shit next season after we get uh, a few injuries and then our free transfers decide that they don't want to turn it on because they're thinking about the World Cup. Taken by Ozil, a lot of depth towards... Oh. Sanchez! Arsenal lead, they've turned it around at Wembley. Manchester City definitely uncomfortable defending the free kick. And Alexis Sanchez was right on the spot. Arsenal 2, Manchester City 1. So we've been doing this for 32, 33 shows so far. And I think that we're now in a position where we can start referencing back to uh, predictions that we had. And I think one of the interesting... uh, One of the interesting areas we played in at the start of the year was uh, Mustafi. We started to question uh, the new Baresi of Arsenal's back line. Yeah, we started to we started to ponder whether he was actually that good, and it turns out he wasn't. And then Arsene Wenger tried to sell him in the summer. Uh, I have an unpopular belief that I want to put to you: Kalasenak, could he be another Mustafi type player? Is is he about to get found out? I love him because he's powerful. He's got a great attitude. He scored a goal at the weekend. He's made an assist, but. And he's, he's doing better than Chamberlain, which seems to be our reference point for anything at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> like, right. uh, uh, my, my question is, is Kalasanak the real deal or are we going to get a rude awakening come what January when he's exposed as maybe not being the defender that we hope? For? I've got another theory, Pete. I've right. got another theory. This theory is based on fact. Oh. And <laughs> every season... In your face, Pete. Every season, Arsenal have the same season in that we get to Christmas and we've actually normally had a pretty good start to the season and we're talking about title challenges and all our players are playing well and the second half of the season we completely fall apart and most of our players fall apart in some way or the other or get injured because they've been overplayed and we haven't got a good enough squad. So if you think about the likes of Thomas Vermeilen, he came in early put in some dominant performances, scored some great goals and then faded and everyone jumped to say he was actually a really shit centre-half. Gabriel. Gabriel. All Chambers the... was the new John Terry. <laughs> Gabriel was the new Martin Keown. So what they're actually doing is they're following the trajectory. I'm in a moment over there. <laughs> so furious that I took on Galassi. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm, actually, I'm actually pretty angry about it. But they're just following exactly what happens to Arsenal every year. Um, and, and anyone who's saying Mustafi is not a good player is fundamentally 
wrong because the reason we all thought he was so good and connected him to that was because he didn't he wasn't in a team Arsenal team that lost for 20 odd games which typically means you're a pretty decent defender if we've been playing well and he simply succumbed to the same thing that had befallen the whole Arsenal team in the second half of the season so um I don't think Mustafi's a poor player I don't think you can say that about Mustafi and I think um, there's nothing in the Kolasinac performances to say uh, that he's going to become a poor player. Uh, so I think it's all completely unfounded. Alfred, is Kolasinac uh, going to be a success or is is he going to break our hearts? Well, I think at left wing back, you are not tested as much as you are um, if he would be playing as a left back. He can't really be exposed in the same way. So we've only really seen the attacking side of him. And I think compared to the attacking side of Bellerin, which I talked about earlier being appalling, he looks absolutely solid. So I think it's too early to judge his defensive abilities. And so far, I think Jack has been covering quite a lot for him, tracking back. And it's it's too early to tell, but like his the attacking side of him is is extraordinary. And I thought the the shot he had on goal uh, and he scored this weekend was fantastic. And I, I wouldn't see any other of our defenders doing something like that. I also think that his performances and the way he plays have driven the whole team on. And we really missed him when he hasn't been there because he's so committed. Uh, and, you know, the name Tank... Uh, you don't get that nickname um, by accident. And I think it's difficult for other players to not be 100% committed when they see a teammate play in the way that he does. I'd also want to see, and I'm sorry to bang on about Ramsey and Ozil, but it feels that whenever Ramsey makes Ozil go away, Kolasinac has to step up. And I want to do some stats digging to see if Ursel and Kolasinac has ever assisted in the same game, for example, or if Ramsey has ever scored whenever Ursel has actually assisted. I'm actually quite riled about this. Like the idea that we would somehow construct some sort of argument that Kolasinac is not probably our best player at the moment. I, I just don't. I just. I'm just not seeing it. I, I think. I think that he's. In, I think he's exciting. I think that. Uh, Alfred's stat earlier about Bellerin having what well, like four assists from crosses in three years, like you've you've probably seen that in ten games from Kalasanak, but it, it stops you looking at him objectively on but the pitch. You, I think you can be objective and say, has he been responsible for a goal this season through an individual error? I don't think so. I don't know. Well, not, not that I, I can mean, recall. Okay, let, well, let's let's review this in December, but. I am not 100% convinced uh, at the moment uh, and like we'll see where it goes. And But this is, and I'm only, I think it's more a behavioural thing with Arsenal. I'm constantly told that these new defenders that we sign are fantastic uh, and then by December they've all crumbled. Like, where's Rob Holding gone this season? So the AGM happened uh, last week. A, a normal, like the, the normal legal, legal procession where we roll out Stan Kroenke. He doesn't say anything. Um, I think there's particular interest around it this year because uh, the club underachieved uh, notably last season, then rewarded the manager with a two million, a two million pound pay increase and a, and a longer deal. Uh, the big takeaway was that Chips 
didn't put in his best performance. He was very dismissive of fans asking like perfectly reasonable questions in a perfectly reasonable tone. Um, guys, what 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 do we think that performance from Sir Chip says about Stan Kroenke and how he feels about the rabid fans, as he called them? Matt? Well, I know it's very in vogue to be very um, anti-Kronky. Um, but you have to look at the statistics and say, um, for years we wanted an owner who kept their mouth shut, funded the club, and, um, and, and, and let the manager get on with it. And, we, and Stan Kroenke has done exactly that. And I think when we were talking earlier, the level of investment is something that you can't argue with. You can definitely argue with how it was spent, but uh, there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes in terms of building up the uh, the training facilities and all of that. Um, so as much as I'm deeply unhappy at the way the club is run, um, I'm not deeply unhappy about Stan Kroenke and what, how he actually does his job. I just think um, there's, there's other things that are awry. Yeah, I mean, for uh, the the only way that he really profiteers from Arsenal is that he bought an asset low and he just doesn't invest his own money. And I think he occasionally takes out three million pounds for consultancy fees, which is interesting because I don't know why anybody would want KS, KSE, his uh, holding company, consulting on their sporting business because they're massive failures in North America. Um, Alfred, what do you think about Sir Chip's attitude and actually what do you think about Arsenal fans attitude to having a voice at these AGMs in general I mean it's I, I can't remember which neoliberal theorist it was who said that the business of business is business you can't accuse a businessman of doing business he will look dumbfounded on you right like people turning up who's not a majority owner to a shareholders meeting and being disappointed about their voice not being heard does not fundamentally understand capitalism. And I think that Sir Chips probably was the channel of Stan Kroenke. I think we could call him Kroenke's monkey. He, he, he said exactly what Stan would have said if he was there. And I just thought it was amazing to see all these people, people upset on Twitter that like, I didn't get to ask my question because I have a share in Arsenal Football Club. And, uh, yeah, fair enough, you could, but I don't think that's the forum to press any of them. And to, yeah, I mean, I, th- I thought it was farcical to see people turning up there and, like, you know, defend our results, defend this and this. Like, this was a meeting about how the business is performing. The business is performing well. And there weren't a lot of que- questions about how the business is performing. And I think that's why... So Chips got a bit arrogant and got a little bit like, you know, annoyed because like, why are you asking questions about the the team's performance? Because that that's not. But, but how can you uh, how can you separate the business of what goes on on the pitch to the to the financials? Aren't they like one and the same? No, they're not. I think you know, the performance on the pitch is an indicator of how the business might do in the future, but it's not an indicator of. of the revenue we had last year is not an indicator of, you know, business decisions that were made five years ago. I just think there's, you you can't say that because we lost to Watford that the business is struggling. It's, it's just stupid. 
So I hear you, Alfred, um, and I. But I think your point around why should a shareholder of uh, of, of one share have a voice, and, and in principle that's correct. But I think you've got an underlying trend where the fans don't feel listened to, and so from a PR perspective, there is a huge opportunity for the chairman uh, um, to give the impression that he does care what every single person who is involved with this club thinks. And it's a bit like uh, the old story of the um, the cleaner at NASA saying that he works at NASA to put a man on the moon and everyone being given a sense of contribution to the overall uh, business. And I think the way that Sir Chip spoke to this shareholder, who, by the way, had had that share in her family for three generations, and he just belittled it. It was just a, an absolute PR gaffe. And that is that just, it's made so much worse by the fact, and I think, Pete, you wrote about this on uh, Le Grove this week. We have swapped success for values, which, you know, that is the, that is the narrative. We may not win so much, but our values are so strong. Well, we eroded, so Chips eroded the values that he purports us to have when he uh, dismissed that woman so readily. And here's the thing for me on the whole Sir Chips bit, because we had it with, I used to go to the AGMs because I have, uh, I'm an heir to a share. That that was funnier in my head. Um, (laughs) But the, uh, we had this with uh, Peter Hillwood. Like he was exactly the same. He's very dismissive of people, but at least he was pissed. When, when he was doing it. So Chips, so Chips is on record as saying he prefers horses to football, like which for me should immediately get you fired from that position. But am I, the bigger thing with Stan Kroenke and Josh, his son who is eventually going to be the heir to a, a football club, is you could just make life so much easier on yourself. Make Bob Wilson the chairman of Arsenal. Like he's effusive, like he's a massive, you know, AKB as, as it were. Um, like he understands the heritage uh, of the football club, like he's entwined with our our history, and he's just a great spokesman. He does all that stuff for the for his uh, like Willow Foundation. Uh, I don't understand why Stan makes it so difficult on himself. You could just do a few basic things, like bring a bring an ex player onto the board. I mean, it is struggle. It is a struggle to go back through our history and find an ex player who's smart enough to deliver on something like that. But like, just, just like make it, it you, you can still maintain control with, without sacrificing, uh, you know, people like Sir Gips coming up and, and making a, a fool of you and piling the pressure on. Like that's embarrassing. Yeah. I think it's a great idea. Bob Wilson, chairman. Yeah. But I also think, you know, amongst the clubs that Stan owns, we should never forget, by the way, that he owns a lacrosse team. Yeah, in in America, which I think is astonishing, which is one of the few clubs he owns who's actually won a league. But amongst his seven or eight children or whatever, Arsenal is like the only one pretty much getting top grades, behaving well, never coming home drunk. Uh, And I just don't think that he ever spends time even thinking about us because he his biggest worry at the moment is that he moved the whole American football team from St. Louis to California. Um, and he's like building a new stadium for that team like every five or six years. And the pressure is amounting from, from the fans in America is huge. So I think he might sometimes actually be more worried about his lacrosse club than, than he is of us. 
And he has never, ever cared about a fan in his, in his life. He does not, because he's American, he does not see that as a shareholder in a club. So the Europa League continues this Thursday when we play uh, Belgrade at home. That should be a fairly standard win for our second stringers to take on. So uh, Manchester City, uh, the game at the weekend, they go away in a very tough, uh, a tough fixture at Naples. They take on Sarri um, in part two, which should be uh, an epic and testing game for the legs. So basically, Arsenal have a whole week to plan against Pep. Um, what are we thinking about that game? So what City unbeaten, playing some of the best football in the world. We know that, uh, we know that Pep uh, had three sessions um, of like video analysis to prepare for Stoke. What does he have up his sleeve, Matt? Tell me. What does Guardiola, what does Guardiola have up, up his sleeve? Yeah. Well, I'm, hugely talented squad so um you know I was thinking about this this morning and I was thinking I just wish this game was at home because I feel like at home we would have um a real chance because we've got a hundred percent record uh we generally play a lot better at home our away record has been dismal but we're not we're away um and I fear for us because there's two things we don't like we don't like pace and we don't like a press and I think that Guardiola will have studied us and he'll have said, let's go and try and win this game in the first 20 minutes. Because that is when, in our, in, in, in our massive away game humblings, and there's, I think Amy Lawrence said there's been close to 20 in the last five years, the ones that have been really bad and when teams have come at us, we've been away from home right from the off, high press, loads of pace. And if we can see two in the first... 12, 15, 20 minutes, then we normally go on and concede five or six. And I think Guardiola will know that. He will go straight for the jugular. And, um, and key to this is something we never, ever do. And it was something that the likes of George Graham and Alex Ferguson were so good at, which is when you go away, the most important thing is not to concede an early goal. And Arsene Wenger is just, he's, he's never really taken that, uh, that, that, that way of thinking. So, so I think that's what Guardiola's going to do. And I think the big question is, uh, how does Wenger do that? Because we are not a team that is built to suck up pressure. We're not a Chelsea who are, who, who are very, very good at taking on pressure and hitting you on the counter. Alfred, I think Matt is absolutely right there. Pep Guardiola is going to mercilessly destroy us if he's given the opportunity. How does Arsene Wenger set up against one of the most attacking coaches in the world and not sacrifice his va- values as an equally attacking manager, but maybe without the same sort of nous. I mean, I think he should set up, as I said earlier, with Coquelin or El Nani, so that we have some defensive stability. Because if Fernandinho has done brilliantly this season of just like taking out the creative players, he's done that so, so, so well. Uh, to the to the point where like John Stones now is starting to look like he has cover, and he's starting to look like an extraordinary player who can play it out from the back. And it's been really really amazing to see some of the pep ball being played because Fernandinho has really stepped up. I also 
you know, the, the thing that I worry about is if we've done something well the last few seasons when we've beaten them is that we've controlled Aguero. And they now have Gabriel Jesus, who's an extraordinary player who plays a little bit different. And they also have, I mean, Raheem Sterling and Leroy Sane's form at the moment. They're just exchanging goals. And I think in the top seven scorers in the Premier League this season, you have Jesus, Aguero, Sterling, and Sané. And it's just incredible to see. And David Silva and Kevin De Bruyne, I think, have the most assists, uh, bar someone else. So there's just so many threats that we didn't really used to have when Manchester City was a little bit slower and the main threat was Aguero. Now, I, I, can, I think we're going to see an early yellow on Chaka where he trips one of the, one of the fast guys and he's then going to be neutralized. Fernandinho is going to neutralize Ramsey and we are going to have no shape whatsoever. And I also predict a 3-0 before halftime. I think we're... I, I, but the only reason that I think that we could possibly beat Manchester City is because they're on such an incredible run at the moment. It has to come to an end at some point. They conceded two goals against West Brom at the weekend. Pretty sloppy, um, pretty sloppy goals as well, um, which gives me hope that um, maybe they'll be feeling slightly rattled, especially if, um, if Napoli beat them on Tuesday. Um, th- th- I don't know. I just feel that when you start getting into like 13, 14 games unbeaten, you start to get a little bit nervous. So our, our only hope is to uh, absorb that pressure and hit them on the break. But I just worry that Arsene isn't going to... The, the thing with Pep is if, if he can see the patterns in your play, he can plan against it. What would be great is if Arsene just completely threw out the rule book and just did something completely obscene and pragmatic because then it, it, it throws Pep a little bit. I've if got he an goes idea. In with that three at the back, I think that we're going to find ourselves in trouble. What's your idea? I know what you're going to suggest that the lady shareholder from the AGM meeting is going to start up front. Something like that. I've got an idea, and I think there's one player we have who, in a tight situation in midfield, can move the ball quickly, find men, offer us impetus and purpose, Jack Wilshere. Oh, Jack Wilshere. I'd like to see Jack Wilshere start on Sunday. I mean, that would definitely be uh, an unpredictable <laughs> move. <laughs> but so, but how, how would you how would you play? Are you t- talking to play like playing sort of like two number tens or like play Jack Wilshere? in the role that we hope Jacker could have filled? Like, what would your midfield look like? Are you going to play a deep block? Are you going to go toe-to-toe with Man City? Tell me. Um, I think I'd just... I think I'd put an extra man in the middle. Uh, so I'd almost, I'd almost have uh, Jack almost maybe replacing, uh, like, a Sanchez uh, or, or, or that wide forward, and then maybe starting with Sanchez up front, no Lacazette. And then Jack could actually drop back into the uh, into midfield when we actually need him. So he could he would be that sort of attacking player. He could maybe drop deeper. It's a real shame that we don't have Danny Welbeck available for this oh. one. I feel that he he'd turn up in a big game like that. Yeah. Well, and if, even if he doesn't score, he would run. He'd there work def- his hole off, wouldn't he? Yeah. So it's going to be a real shame. But I think uh, I think it's going to be an exciting game. I just hope that it's not utter destruction. 
So that concludes an energetic and excitable podcast. I think we're all fired up for, for the real deal this weekend. We'll find out whether Arsenal are title contenders. Uh, thank you for joining me on the show, Alfred. Thank you, Pete. Thank you for joining me, Matt. Thank you, Pete. Uh, and that's it from me. Ciao for now. This is Peacock. I love it! It's streaming your favorite shows, movies, live sports, breaking news, exclusive originals. It's The Office. That's what she said. Chrisley knows best. It's going to be Todd's Way or the Highway. And Peacock original shows like Punky Brewster. Holy mackinole. So whether you're in the mood for every live WWE pay-per-view or every episode of Law & Order SVU, Peacock's got you covered. Peacock. Watch for free. Upgrade for more. Stream now at PeacockTV.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.